Hey, Hope Markham, welcome back again. Thank you for inviting us into your home once more. We're glad that we can worship the Lord together. Today's text is Romans chapter 8, verse 18 to 25. This is a different um, type of topic that uh, we're speaking about today. I'm very thankful that when we just go through the Bible verse by verse, we need to approach every topic as it comes to us. And the one that comes to us today is suffering. Not an easy thing to talk about, but a thing that's very present in many of our lives right now. You know, in our world and in our culture, uh, the idea of suffering, um, we can live between two extremes of how we try to manage it. On the one extreme, there's uh, those in our society who would want to uh, remove all uh, stigma and remove all taboo and share in a collective uh, pain uh, with the desire of just living honestly and openly and exposing exactly who we are. Yet, on the other hand, we swing to another pendulum where we see people in our culture uh, living under the crushing uh, weight of debt and trying to cover our lives up and at the same time some embrace the taboos and, or some, some fight against the taboos and the stigmas. Others are doing everything they can to cover them up. The good news for the Christians is that the gospel shows us a third way, a better way to be able to not just manage the idea of suffering, but carry on uh, with endurance and hope. And we see that third way kind of in a picture through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus' body was exceptionally disfigured at the cross. That's what the cross was designed to do. He hung on the cross because nails was pierced through his hands and his feet, and to confirm that he was uh, dead, they uh, violently shoved a spear up through his ribcage uh, and into his heart. Yet three days later, when Jesus rose from the dead, uh, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, these women saw him in a new body, a glorified body, where all of those things that put him in the grave were overcome. Yet uniquely when we see Jesus at the resurrection, we see uh, that the marks are still there. The holes are still there. And this kind of describes what it's like to experience suffering in the Christian life. By faith in Jesus, we have overcome all those things that would bring us to death in sin, but the remnant, the effect, the scars of sin still linger on. And we can carry on through it in hope. This is what the message is about today from Romans 8, verse 18 to 25. The Holy Spirit helps us to suffer well. Not swinging back between one or two extremes, but carrying on with hope. Today we want to answer three questions. What does it look like to suffer well? How does the Spirit help us? And what can we do to start cooperating with Him today? I'd like to read God's Word now. This is God's Word. It speaks to us today, and this is what it says. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, 
not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in a hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Paul's confession of how to suffer wells in Romans 8, verse 18. Romans 8, verse 18 is what it looks like to suffer well. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, at first glance, that might look honestly a little insensitive. It might look a little insensitive because we know what we're suffering through. And but when we recognize who the one who was that said it, and what he himself experienced in sufferings, we can learn to have this same attitude. The Apostle Paul uh, was one of the few followers, there were few followers of Jesus other than the Apostle Paul that suffered so painfully and so dramatically in the early church. You can read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24 to 28 to read as like resume of suffering. One instance specifically sticks out to me. Apostle Paul was going through this like tri-city area, Iconium and Lystra and Antioch, and he came to one city and preached the name of Jesus, and they did not like him, and they ran him out of town. So he went to the next town. Not uncommon. But when he went to the next town, and he preached the gospel, and he was kind of being well-received, but then the men from the other town, who really didn't like him, came with a mob to this present town and stirred up a riot, with the intent of attempting to stone Paul to death. And they nearly achieved. They got the mob together. The first threw his boulder down and hit him, probably knocking Paul to the ground. And then stones rained down upon him. And it was so bad that they thought he was dead. And they actually carried his body outside of the city, thinking it to be a corpse. And dumped him there. Paul wasn't dead. Likely very close to it. After recovering though, what, what do you think he did? Acts 14 tells us that he went back into the city. Back, back into the place where he nearly lost his life. And he went and preached a sermon. What type of, ser what type of sermon do you preach after the citizens of that town nearly kill you? Romans 18, or excuse me, Acts 14, verse 23, tells us his sermon. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of heaven. That's the person who's saying this. That's the experience of the person who's saying this. So, so if we were having a dialogue with Paul, and he tells us the sufferings of this life are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us, we might respond and say, yeah, but you don't know what I've gone through. But Paul would respond back and say, no, no, I don't. But I know what I've gone through. 
And I know the hope that I have. And I know that the sufferings of this life are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. In this single statement, we see three expressions of what it means to suffer well. Suffering well means suffering realistically. Paul never diminished his suffering. He acknowledged it realistically. In another letter that he wrote to the Philippian church, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 22, he realistically shares how hard his struggle with suffering was. He was in prison when he wrote this. And in Philippians 1, 22, he honestly said that sometimes he feels like it would be easier to depart from this life and be with Jesus. Maybe you feel that way sometimes too. Paul acknowledged the struggle with his suffering realistically, but he was not overcome by it. Suffering well means suffering realistically and it means suffering hopefully. Paul believed the sufferings of this time are real, but they're not worth comparing to the glory. And there is glory coming for those who are in Christ Jesus. The greatness of the light of the glory of eternal life shone through any dark cloud that hovered over Paul's life. He knew just as Jesus suffered and was received into glory, so he too, in his suffering with Christ, would be glorified. That allows us to learn the third expression of what it means to suffer well. Suffering well means suffering patiently. I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Not yet revealed, but already ours. Like an inheritance. Like an inheritance written in your name from your grandparents. If you have an inheritance written in your name from your grandparents and they pass and you're only 12, at 12, that inheritance is yours. It's fully yours and it's secured in your name. But likely, it's going to be kept in trust and held for you to actually obtain what's already yours until you're 18, when you become a legal adult. You will obtain it at 18, but it's still yours at 12. All you need to do is wait. Paul could patiently wait through the suffering because he knew that the glorious inheritance of eternal life secured in Christ Jesus, secured by his grace, secured by his death and his resurrection, it was his by faith. You may be uncertain about what life would hold after death. You might be worried about what is going to happen when you depart from this life. But if you enact your faith in Jesus, believing that he suffered in your place for your sins, believing that he lived the life you couldn't and died the death you deserved, then you will have an inheritance of glory waiting for you. And upon the act of faith, it's yours. Suffering well means suffering realistically, hopefully, and patiently. This leads us to our second question that Romans 8, verse 18 to 25 answers. How does the Spirit help us? If this is like to suffer well, and the Spirit helps us to suffer well, how does the Spirit help us? We see Paul kind of take us on this journey now. Because we might be in our own suffering and be like, okay, how can you say this? You might have this conviction. I don't right now. 
So now the Apostle Paul takes us on this journey of perspective. And he invites us to kind of step out of our own sufferings and consider what's about us to be able to step back into our sufferings to be realistic and hopeful and patient to suffer well. The Spirit helps us because the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see our suffering from a redemptive perspective. A redemptive perspective is being able to look at what's happening in my life and the world from God's eternal vantage point. And that's hard because we're stuck in the here and now. But God's plan for his children is more than just here and now. It's from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation. So Paul invites us to, through the Holy Spirit, have this redemptive perspective by looking at the world in our lives in three ways. First, Paul invites us to step back and look around at the ruined planet that we live in. To step back from our own suffering and look at what's happening in the world to better understand what's happening in our hearts. And when we do and we look around the world, uh, we know that something's off. It's pretty clear right now, isn't it? So theologically speaking, what's happening in the world? What's happening in our planet? God created this planet good. He did it to honor his name and he did it to allow humans to flourish as they followed his way. But humanity refused to follow God's good way. And in that refusal, in that turning away, in that sin, everything God created became cursed. Everything good became spoiled. All that naturally produced life began to give forth death. And instead of being an environment that naturally cultivates the goodness that God wanted to, what the, all the goodness that God has made has been lost. It's been ruined. As we considered a few weeks ago, it's like looking at the ruins of ancient buildings. You can look at an ancient building and it looks beautiful to behold, but it's still nothing like what it was designed to be and first created to be hundreds of years ago. And that's what's happened to our planet too. But like the pains of childbirth, the suffering that our planet is going through, the pains that our planet is experiencing are not meaningless pains. The creation is waiting to be made new. The creation feels its futility, but in hope, the creation is groaning through its pains like the, chains of, like the pains of childbirth. The pains of childbirth are not meaningless. The pains of childbirth remind a mother that new life is coming. And through the pain of suffering, God has promised that the hope of something new is coming. For the world, it's going to be renewed. New heavens and new earth. For the children of God, we will experience the redemption of our bodies, resurrection from the dead, as Christ was raised from the dead. And on that day, when God makes everything new, this planet will be the suitable environment God created for humans to flourish again, following his way again. But we're not there yet. 
we still feel the planet groaning in pain. We see it. We see it in Alberta, how the same town, Fort McMurray, had fires that evacuated all the people and then floods that evacuated all the people. We see it in Australia, how wildfires are destroying natural habitats and dramatically polluting air quality. We see it in a cyclone that hit India and Bangladesh. And in the city of Calcutta, many homes, many shops are brought to complete ruin. And yeah, we feel it in a pandemic. How like one little microbe that came from a few animals has now brought seven million or seven billion lives to almost a complete standstill and taken many lives in its path. We know something's off in the world. We know something's off in our hearts too. What's happening in the world is happening in our hearts. So when we look around at our ruined planet, we can look in at our aching soul. Theologically speaking, what's happening in our planet is kind of what's happening to us individually. And this pandemic is actually really, um, I think it's fair to say, frustrated a lot of the suffering that maybe was just below the surface, even in our church. This past week, our staff was praying for our church because we see so many different ways that people like you are suffering. James chapter 5 says that those who are suffering should be prayed for. We've been praying for you. We've been praying for the loneliness that you're experiencing. We've been praying for the poor choices that people find themselves making, like abusing substances because they're just bored and don't know what to do with their time. We've been praying for people who experience domestic violence, family stress, financial insecurity. These things and many more are, are crushing a lot of us right now. And the ruin that we see in the world is the same ruin that's happening in our heart. And it makes our souls ache. Do you feel it? A redemptive perspective looks to the world around us, to our souls in us, but then a redemptive perspective can look back to the salvation that we've received. The scripture says in verse 24, in this hope, that we would receive our full adoption, that we would see the redemption of our bodies. In this hope, we were saved. Christian, when you enacted your faith in Jesus, you were saved. You were rescued from your sin. You were reunited to God. You have the assurance of hope in heaven. We feel the suffering in this present age, but our hope isn't in this life only. Our hope is in the age to come. So we can look back to our salvation and we can look forward then. We can look forward to our redemption. Because as Christ suffered, so we are suffering. But as Christ rose from the dead, so we will be raised from corruptible to incorruptible. From mortality to immortality. From death to eternal life. This is the redemptive perspective that the Holy Spirit can give us, but I'll readily admit this is, this is really an intellectual answer. And if we're being honest with ourselves, we feel it in our gut. And an honest person who feels their suffering 
can't help but ask, okay, but why? Why? Yes, we understand all of the sin has happened to this world, but why can't we just be pulled out of it? Why do we have to go through it? I would remind us of Romans 8, verse 17. That says that we are children and heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Christ in order that we may be glorified with Christ. Our relationship with Jesus is, is dynamic. We've talked about this a fair bit recently. Jesus, God, is a personable being that we can relate to personally. And the ways we relate to him are dynamic. He is our master. We are his servants. He is our shepherd. We are his sheep. He is our teacher. We are his disciples, his students. And we want to have a relationship with Jesus and the joys that come from a relationship with Jesus. But having a true and full relationship with Jesus doesn't mean that we have the liberty to say, okay, I will have you as my master, but I will not have you as my shepherd. I will have you as my teacher, but I won't have you as my master. Having a relationship with Jesus is having Jesus as Jesus is. One of the things we often neglect or maybe just forget is that Jesus is also our founder. He's the founder of our faith. He's the person who came before us, whose path we follow. And we know that as the founder of our faith, the path that he walked was a path of martyrdom. He walked a path of suffering. And if he is the founder of our faith, it is fitting that to enjoy a relationship with him, that we choose to walk with him on this path, in this relationship, just as we have other relationships with, in other ways with Jesus. Hebrews 2 verse 10 says this. It says, For he, it was fitting that he... Jesus, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation, Jesus, perfect through suffering. We're following the same path Jesus is following as we have a relationship with him. Don't you remember the call of discipleship? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. This cannot be a man-made religion when this is the call. But here's the comfort. Here's the hope. There is a unique depth of love, of joy, of hope that can only be known when we know the sufferings of Jesus. Second Corinthians verse 1 Chapter 1, verse 5 says this, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. All of the comfort we want in relationship with Christ, there's a unique depth of it, a unique flavor of it that can only be known when we suffer with Christ. And when Paul considered his sufferings, he knew that he was suffering with Christ. It's comfort, because when we suffer, we know that we're not alone. So with the Spirit's help, we can suffer well with Christ. We can suffer well in a way that is realistic, in a way that is hopeful, 
in a way that is patient. I don't know what you're going through. And even the sufferings of Paul, as significant as they were, Christ knows what you're going through. He's the high priest who is tempted as we are. He's the founder who walked the path ahead of us. He is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. So whatever you're suffering through right now, you can have the faith to know that in Christ you don't suffer alone. And the reason God isn't pulling you out of it and carrying you through it is because he wants to draw you nearer to the comfort of Christ so that you can have a greater hope in the glory that's coming. So then, how can we start cooperating with him today? How can we start living with this redemptive perspective today? I would offer us three practical responses to this message, knowing that the Spirit can help us suffer well. He wants to help us be realistic, to be hopeful. He wants us to be realistic, to be hopeful, and to be patient. So if we're going to be able to cooperate with him and live with his redemptive perspective, we need to first hold fast to the gospel. Whatever reason you may be suffering for today, and there are lots, maybe your own sin, maybe the sin that people have done to you, maybe just because of the brokenness of the world that's around us. In each of these ways, we have the same solution, and it's the gospel. Jesus lived the life we couldn't. He died the death that he deserved, we deserved. And what he experienced on the cross and through his resurrection, that same rebirth, that is the hope for our world and that is the hope for our hearts. Whatever you are suffering through today, hold fast to the gospel and you can share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ as Paul, Paul told Timothy to do in 1 Timothy 2. Hold fast to the gospel and second, learn to practice lament. This is going to be our, the topic for the sermon next week in verse 25 to verse 30. Lament is a passionate expression of grief. It doesn't hold in the pain, but it lays it out before God. One writer says, Lament is how you live between the poles of hard life and trusting in God's sovereignty. And this happens through emotionally honest prayer helped by the Spirit. As I said, we're going to learn more about this week. But most pressing today, I think we can best help each other to learn to cooperate with the Spirit and have a redemptive perspective to suffer well when we suffer together. Romans 12 verse 15 says that we should weep with those who weep. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 4 says that God who comforts us in our affliction comforts us so that we may be able to comfort those in any affliction. This is a pressing need for the body of Christ now, right now. This is an urgent need. This is our duty because we are a body. And when one smallest part of the body suffers, like a hangnail on your finger, you can feel it and it can distract the whole body. 
and if we have the love of Christ in us and know the love of Christ that God has for us, we'll recognize that it is our duty to show the love of Christ to each hurting person in our church. If you know someone suffering during this time, reach out to them regularly. Don't be a problem solver. Be a burden bearer. Feel their pain with them. Cry with them. Carry with it with them. Listen to them. Reach out to those who aren't overtly suffering. And maybe some people are just on the one end and they're just exposing everything. Maybe there are people you know on the other end who are just trying to cover it up. As one author said, it is valuable to the body of Christ to be intentionally intrusive. Reach out to people who don't even look like they're suffering and ask them. Listen to them. But maybe you, you've never had anyone ask you and you feel like you're alone. We don't want you to be. At the end of this service, there's going to be a number that you can text on the screen. Text it. We will call you. We want to listen. We want to pray. We want to suffer together with you as you suffer. Like Jesus, after he was risen from the dead, the scars of our stuff, suffering still remains. But when we have a redemptive perspective, we can learn to suffer well. And with a mind that is realistic and that is hopeful and that is patient, we can carry through with hope, knowing that one day, as we because we suffer with Christ, we will also be glorified with Christ. Father, thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus' name. God, would you help me to be intentionally intrusive into other people's lives? Would you help me to bear burdens? Would you help me to listen? God, would you help me to be realistic? It's really easy just to, to mask everything and to act like it's okay. Give help, Lord God, to our church that by the Spirit we can have this redemptive perspective and learn to suffer well. Thank you for our eternal hope in Christ. We pray in his name, Jesus. Amen.